Welcome to our online worship service. Uh, as elders and staff, we are glad that you have chosen to be able to worship with us uh, in this way, whether you are listening to us uh, on the road uh, via podcast uh, or at your home um, through our streaming platform. We are still believing that God is at work in these times to be able to um, hear truth, respond to truth. And so our hope is that whether you are at home or in the car, that uh, you are being able to engage with not just hearing the word, um, but loving the word so that you might apply the word. And we know that there are uh, all sorts of ages listening this morning. And, and so uh, in a little bit, I'll actually come back and I will uh, share with you some words out of Lamentations 3. And so for you kids who are out there, I would love to be able to uh, help you be able to see where we're going and what we're doing. Uh, and there's one um, question that I've got for you. I want you to think, what is hope? And, and to answer that question, I'd love for you to draw a picture of what hope is. Frankly, I don't know if I could draw a picture of what hope is, but I know that you can. And so if you would, uh, during this message, see if you can draw a picture of what hope is. Because I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we're going to sing some songs, and then I'll come back and talk about hope. And um, uh, we would love for everyone to be able to, to join us in doing that. So would you pray with me? Now, Father, we uh, worship you this morning. We want to lift up holy hands and voices in praise. And I pray, Lord, that as we uh, hear these songs, that they would be songs that would fill our minds with truth and our hearts with joy. I pray, Lord, that as we open your word together this morning, uh, that no matter where we are or when we're listening or how we're listening, uh, that your spirit, who is powerful, would bring these words to our heart and that its seed might find soil to produce roots that go down deep that would help us to weather the kinds of drought and storm that we'll face, that it might be like ballast to our ship, that when seas roll, that we would not tip over and be wrecked. And so, Lord, we need your Spirit and are asking you to do what only you can do, uh, to bring your word to bear in our lives, that we would know it and love it and live by it. So, Lord, lead us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get into our message for this morning, I want to share an announcement from uh, the elders. It was 10 weeks ago on Saturday, uh, March 14th, that the elders got together uh, to decide what are we going to do, uh, how are we going to respond as, as we face what appeared to be a kind of global pandemic that uh, our generation had never seen before. And at that meeting, our desire was to act uh, as good shepherds, to consider what, what's going to be the, the best thing for uh, our people and our community. And based on reports that we heard that there was a rapidly spreading, very deadly virus, and based on the recommendations that we heard from local officials and government officials, uh, we decided that it was going to be in our best interest to uh, close our buildings and restrict in-person gatherings. Now, 10 weeks later, we can look back on the fact that uh, the virus has not been the kind of global pandemic that we expected it to be. And we'll praise God for the fact that uh, he has shielded Keystone from a lot of the death and heartache that uh, really accompanied a lot of the virus. We recognize that there is still a um, portion of the population, both here at Keystone and in our community, where the, the virus is still quite a real threat. And yet, we also know that there's a lot of people at Keystone uh, for whom uh, this disease is not going to be nearly as severe as we in initially anticipated it would be. And based on that, um, Keystone elders have decided that it is going to be in our best interest to begin reopening. Uh, on June 1st, Keystone elders are ready for small groups to begin to start meeting in groups of less than 25 for things like care groups, uh, for things like uh, worship services on Sunday morning with your friends and family at home. Uh, we're thinking about Bible studies and, and corporate prayer meetings. From the beginning of the shutdown, one of the things that we heard both from our Secretary of Health and from our governor is that they consider churches to be life-sustaining, essential businesses, occupations, uh, organizations. And therefore, we were 
never required to follow the governor's safety orders that so many of our businesses and organizations had to. And in follow-up conversations with both local pastors and with church attorneys, we agreed that at least in Pennsylvania, the government was not telling us that we could not meet. And so the question was never, um, could we meet? But should we meet? And how should we meet? Under what conditions? Uh, we're grateful that in Pennsylvania, uh, we've never been told that the church had to shut down. Um, even before um, President Trump's announcement on Friday, we knew that we could meet. The question was, should we? And how? We think that we have some methods in place for small groups to meet that will be um, responsible and meaningful. And so this coming Friday, you're going to hear more from us as elders. We're going to be sending out a video where we'll describe more of what we'll call best practices and uh, general guidelines and recommendations uh, for small groups to begin to start meeting. Uh, we'll also provide in that video an announcement regarding uh, updates regarding succession since we can't have our congregational meeting. Uh, in addition to that video, we will end up sending out a um, document that describes maybe the, the, the best ways for those small groups to start having the conversations. One of the things we, we've seen with at least the elders is that um, we need to have the conversation in, in respectful, uh, in humble ways, and it's going to take a little bit of work to be able to figure out how are these groups going to navigate the challenges uh, of masks and distancing and kids. Uh, and so as we begin to start meeting in small groups, my encouragement um, would be to continue to pray. Uh, it's good news that we are starting to reopen in this way. Um, but the challenges are still ahead of us and would love for you to be praying um, for unity. Since we also know that the, the virus is still a threat to many in our congregation and, and that there may be people who uh, would not meet in uh, any size group at this point, we're going to continue to offer our small group options, whether it's in Zoom meetings. Uh, we'll continue to stream our worship services for you to be able to view at home. Um, and for those of you who are in that camp, uh, we long to be able to see you, but we also totally understand and respect uh, that there are needs and um, concerns uh, that we might not know about that would make it the most wise and loving thing for you to do uh, to, be, to stay at home. Regarding worship services and our gatherings in large ways on Sunday mornings for uh, worship, the elders don't have a plan in place, uh, even a timeline in place. Uh, I know that there are many of you who are itching to get back, not just together in small groups, but uh, in large groups. And we love that you want to do that. Uh, it is a good and godly desire that you would want to gather with the saints to worship God together. Uh, but we also know that there are people in our congregation who um, are, are not ready to move out into um, any large gathering. And, and even when they do, they want to follow strict CDC recommendations uh, regarding masks and distancing and all sorts of precautions. And, and I want to say we, we respect that position a lot as well. And, and frankly, we just don't know that we have a good strategy to be able to accommodate the number of people who would desire to be a part of our worship services uh, in a way that would be both meaningful and responsible. There are precautionary um, measures uh, regarding masks and regarding uh, distancing and how are we going to navigate in and how many people are going to have in the auditorium and what are we going to do with singing and what are we going to do with kids ministry that uh, we don't have those answers yet. And so just as you're praying for the success of our small groups to reopen, I pray that you would be um, encouraging elders uh, in prayer to um, think what, what will be the, the wisest and uh, most loving way for us to begin regathering in large groups. Uh, these are um, strange seasons, and um, one of the fears that I have is not regarding uh, the virus, but in the kind of disunity that can happen uh, as we have people on one side and on the other uh, who think the, the most loving thing is to do this and who think the most loving thing is to do that. And so um, regardless of small groups and large groups, I, I pray um, that you would be praying for not just the leaders who are making the decisions, but for 
the body who we will be responding to the decisions that we might respond uh, in unity, in love, in patience, in humility. Um, I have no doubt that we will be able to regather uh, in a large group worship service uh, without masks and without restrictions uh, in full liberty to worship the Lord. And um, I, I have hope in that. I, I just don't know exactly when it'll be. From the beginning, we have said that Keystone is more of a, a people than a place, and we've got a nice place, uh, but we've got a better people. And our prayer has been that through this time, uh, that even though we are apart, uh, that God would be working in our hearts to continue to mold us more and more into the image of Christ. Um, and so we're still trusting and praying in that way, and uh, would pray that you would do the same thing uh, for our body. During the season of shutdown, I have found myself uh, spending more time in Paul's pastoral prayers than uh, I may have in any other season. Um, it's guided in a lot of ways how I've prayed for you during the week. And if you've been paying attention, maybe on Sunday mornings, uh, how I've been praying for you um, during the services. And these are prayers that are filled with thanksgiving. They're filled with joy. They're, they're filled with longing, a longing sometimes even to just see each other face to face. And I want to read one of the, the pastoral prayers that Paul ends up praying for the church in Ephesus. Um, this is the one that's been on my whiteboard for, I think, uh, maybe three weeks. Uh, I'm going to read Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 19. It says, For this reason, and because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and of your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Those verses uh, have been a powerful reminder for me to be praying for you in one particular way, uh, for your hope. The, 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 the verses um, in 17 and 18 are my favorite. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which he has called you. I've titled the message that I'm going to uh, preach this morning, Yes, But Hope. In, in a lot of ways, it is a um, precursor to a sermon series that Keith will begin, over the ne uh, begin next week and extend through the month of June, uh, that he's titled Rethinking Suffering. For five weeks after this morning, we will be in a series where we consider and rethink uh, the issue of suffering. And it's within that context that I, I want um, this prayer to maybe be our prayer together, that the God of the universe would open the eyes of our hearts to see the hope that he has called us to. And so throughout this sermon series, uh, I'd be praying uh, that you would be praying uh, that God might reveal to us, open our eyes to see who he is, what he's done, and how that should shape every element of our lives, even the, the darkest, most painful seasons of suffering. And so I want to pray for us uh, as we move into examining his word together um, that he would do just as uh, he said that he would. So would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, we have seen your gracious hand upon us. Uh, we've seen it in Christ. We've seen it in the church. And Lord, we worship you as the author and the perfecter of our faith, the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. And I pray that you would be faithful to call us and open our eyes to see the calling and the hope that you have called us to and that we might be shaped by the power of your spirit and by the 
truth of your word to become more of who you designed us to be. And Father, we live in a world that is full of countless afflictions. And in that season, we remember that you are our refuge and strength. You are our very present help in times of trouble. And we trust you because we know that you are well acquainted with suffering. You have tasted the the bitterness of afflictions. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. I pray that you would speak to us in our afflictions like you might speak as a strong and compassionate father. I pray, Lord, that you would let your words as novel or as familiar as they may be, I pray, Lord, that they might flow to us like streams of living water that would satisfy our souls. I pray that you would speak to us with tender authority, that your words would startle us with good news. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us personally, powerfully, that as we are scattered and isolated across all ages and stages, each experiencing this world in a unique and specific way, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would tend to us as individuals, uh, that we might sense your presence this morning and feel the hope that you have called us to. I pray that you do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll be in the book of Lamentations this morning and encourage you at home uh, to be able to open up your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. The outline uh, that I've provided for you has uh, four parts. We'll look at first the the picture of hope, then the power of hope, the problem of hope, and then finally uh, the place of hope before moving into some next steps, actions that we can take. And so if you would, in Lamentations uh, chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 21 um, through 24. Verse 21 begins, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So to begin with a a picture of hope, I want to begin by just thinking for a minute that the the word hope is a a bit of a tricky word to define. And I think that it's tricky to define because we end up using it in so many different ways. Uh, One of the most common ways uh, that I imagine hope is being used is is in this idea that hope is like a substitute for the word desire or want or wish. Uh, I might say that I hope this summer to go on vacation. There's a a trip that I would love to take from um, Seattle all the way down to San Diego and, and, and cruise down that Pacific coast. And so when I say that I hope to take that trip, what I'm saying is that that's what I wish. That's what I want. Uh, that's what I hope to do. And, and because I'm not necessarily certain of whether it will happen or not, I end up using the word hope. And what uh, I imagine would be is that I could ask any one of you, what do you hope for? And you would list off a variety of different things. And so... In order to confirm my bias, uh, I, I went to Facebook and I did a very unscientific um, study to find out what is it that Keystone is currently hoping for. And um, here are the responses. I, I, I heard, I hope for a sunny weekend. I hope soon that I can stop wearing this mask. I hope that I can leave my house soon. Uh, I hope I can get a haircut soon. I hope the church opens up soon. And were all of those hopes, I think, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, me too. I, I would hope for a lot of those things. And it's that hope for, that wish for, that desire for that I think defines one way that we talk about hope. The second way that we end up talking about hope is not necessarily the desire, but the, the feeling, this optimistic feeling that that wish or desire or that uh, want will actually happen. And so I might say that I have hope that I will be able to go on a summer vacation. And what I mean by that is that I have this optimistic feeling that this summer I'm going to be able to do and get what I want. All the optimists out there function on this kind of hope. They they believe 
no matter what circumstances are, things are going to be better in the future. Everyone who goes on a first date has a little bit of this hope that, that this could be the one. Now, sports fans have this kind of hope, that optimistic feeling. And that's why they watch the game even when their team is losing in the very last minutes of the game. They have hope, they have an optimistic feeling that something good could happen. And so this is the kind of hope that um, we end up having and losing. It can wax and wane for a variety of different variables, often of which are out of our control. And so I can speak about being hopeful. That's full of hope, full of confidence, full of trust, full of belief that this is going to happen. Or I could be hopeless, that I don't have any good thing to look forward to in, in the future. In fact, it may only get worse. And so speaking about the summer vacations, I am not hopeful that I will be able to take that West Coast trip this summer. But I am hopeful that it'll happen someday. The third way that we can speak about hope is not necessarily that want or that optimistic feeling, but what it is that we put our hope in. Whatever we put our hope in becomes our hope, and that's the reason for the optimistic feeling that we have. And so I might say that I have hope in a vaccine. And what I mean by that is that my hope for a summer vacation would rest or be fulfilled with this hope of a vaccine. And so we can end up putting our hope in a whole host of things. I know that we don't end up talking about hope in necessarily this way a lot, and it's sometimes difficult to discover what it is that we hope in rather than what we hope for. But any time that we end up looking to an athlete, maybe in a draft, to bring uh, the next success to our team, what we're doing is we're putting our hope in that athlete. Anytime we have an election, in some sense, we are putting our hope in a candidate or in a party to bring about a future that is desirable. There are, there are often good things that we can hope in to get us the desire that we want. There, there might be some of us who've put our hope in a spouse to make us happy. And what we mean is that our hope of happiness in the future rests, or the reason for that hope for a better future um, is a spouse or maybe a child. We might have a hope for love, and we believe that maybe a pet will give, give us that. Uh, we might have a desire for success or importance, and we put our hope in a future job or in a future degree. And one of the ways that you can often identify what it is that you hope in uh, is how you end up responding to loss and difficulty and suffering. Oftentimes, our hopes come bubbling up to the surface whenever there's any kind of suffering. And if you take a look at um, verses 21 and 24 in Lamentations 3, we see that the author uses the word hope in two different ways. Verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He has this optimistic feeling. And then drop down to 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And so the, the reason for his optimistic feeling is rooted in his hope in the Lord. And as we study this passage, uh, the author is going to end up giving us grounds for the optimistic feeling he has, the hope that he has. And to share in that hope uh, and to be able to encourage others in that hope, uh, we need to figure out what that is. Uh, but before we do, I, I want to talk briefly about why we should investigate the basis for hope. What's the power of hope? And so moving into that second part of your outline, what is the power of hope? The, the key word for me in this passage is the word but. Verse 21 begins, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. But is a hinge word. It's one of the words that we use to separate the past and the present. It's what we use to compare and contrast uh, what was with what will be. 
And so the, the buts in the New Testament are some of my favorite verses. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Romans 3.21. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, Ephesians 2.13. And so in order for us to grasp the bigness of these buts, we need to understand what was coming before it. The but is beckoning us to consider a new perspective. And so let's take a, a, a quick look. Uh, if we look at Lamentations 3, let's, let's look to see what the author is describing before these verses of hope. In verses 1 through 20, he is describing a type of scene, and I want to know what that scene is. So read verse 1. Verse 1, I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. Scroll down to 14. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. Drop down even more to verse um, 17. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. If you're wondering whether or not the author of this um, portion of Scripture is having a good day, he is not. In fact, I'd encourage you to, to read through his account in the future and, and see if you can identify with any of the pain, any of the struggle, any of the heartache, any of the affliction that he's describing. Verses 21 through 24 fall in the context of suffering and pain and affliction. And so if there's one thing that I can bank on is that we are going to experience suffering. And so if you've read Shakespeare's Macbeth, you know there, there's a line. Uh, Each new morn, new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows, sorrows strike heaven on the face. Uh, or if you were listening to the radio in the 90s, you heard R.E.M. What did they say? Everybody hurts sometimes. And, and, and those are just the echoes of what the Bible has to say. Even what Jesus himself says is in this world, you will experience troubles. I love that the Bible does not ignore the fact that people suffer. This is a reality. And I love that the Bible talks about it. And, and I love that Pastor Keith is going to preach for five weeks about the topic. Uh, the, the Bible is relevant and it's practical and it, it, it might be an old book, but it doesn't get old because its truths have the power to transform our current situations, no matter what area we live in uh, or what season we're experiencing. And this passage is a reminder for us when we get to that word, but. But is the hint that suffering is not the end of the story. But in this passage is a hint that what was before is not the end of the story. There's, there's a hope that can sustain us. The, the concept of hope and um, what we might do to find hope is, is important to us because we believe that it has the power to transform suffering in a way that would not only allow us to endure it, but to actually find joy in it. Tim Keller uses an illustration to describe the power of hope to transform the way that we experience suffering. He, he, I'm, I'm adopting it a bit for maybe our culture. Imagine a contractor uh, wants to hire uh, two young adults to end up um, installing installation in attics during the summer. And so he hires two young adults. The first young adult, he says, I'm going to pay you $1,000 each month for you to do this work. And I'm not sure if you've ever worked in an attic in the summertime. Uh, it's hot, it's itchy, it's uncomfortable work. And so he goes to the first and he says, I'll, I'll pay you $1,000 each month to do this work. And the second young adult he goes to and hires, he says, um, this summer I'm going to pay you $1 million each month to do this work. And so if you came across the job site sometime in the middle of July, maybe like one o'clock in the afternoon, and you saw these two guys discussing uh, their work over lunch, one of them might end up saying, I hate my job. This is miserable. And the other might say, not that bad. 
how is it that, that two people can experience the same situation, the same circumstance, and experience it in two different ways? Tim Keller would say that the, the reason is that they have their hope in two different futures. And that future hope that they have ends up helping them to interpret how they are experiencing their current reality. The, the, the same is true in this passage. If we understood the context of what is happening to the nation of Israel during this time, these words are written to a people who are suffering, and they're written to help give them the power to transform the way that they are viewing suffering. What we need to do in, in this season is to remember that there is power to sustain our soul through suffering. But just as there is a power for hope or power of hope, that hope um, can also have a problem if misplaced. And so the third part of our sermon series or sermon outline is to identify or be wary of the problem of hope. The, the problem with hope is that it's only really as helpful and secure as the guarantee of the future that it promises. I mean, how quickly would the guy working in the attic go from it saying it's not that bad to this is worse than I ever imagined if the contractor ended up telling him, you know what, I can't afford to pay you a million dollars. The fact that he had hope and then lost it would probably make his current situation feel worse than it was before. Even if the contractor would pay double what the other guy was getting paid, it still wouldn't transform his suffering because his hope was dashed. And so anyone who's experienced the pain of a breakup knows that sometimes we wonder whether it was better to have had and lost than not to have had love at all. And I would imagine, and I've not experienced it, but I've seen the grief and sorrow that parents have as they've lost or miscarried children. And I wonder which, which is worse, to not have kids or to have and have lost. A cancer diagnosis that comes on the heels of a remission announcement feels like it's a heavier blow because there was hope and then it was dashed. Jim Collins wrote a book um, that was titled Good to Great, and in that book he describes what he calls the Stockdale Paradox. And it, the Stockdale Paradox is built on a um, story of Jim Stockdale. He was a U.S. Navy aviator uh, during the Vietnam War, and in 1965, his plane was shot down, and he was taken as a prisoner of war. As a prisoner of war in North Vietnam, he didn't know when he was going to get out. Um, he didn't know when um, the next beating uh, would occur. Uh, the kinds of conditions there gave him very little reason to hope that anything would happen. And Jim Collins asks Jim Stockdale, how did you survive? And he describes the hope that he had. And Jim Collins asks, well, who didn't survive? And Stockdale answers, oh, that's easy. Who didn't survive? The optimists. They were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And then Easter would come and then Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart, is what Stockdale said. There is a kind of hope that if misplaced, will destroy us will wreck our souls. There's a kind of hope that is happening at this time. And so if you know the story of the Israelite people, they have just witnessed uh, another nation. They've seen Assyria come and they've seen Babylon come, lay siege to their city, and then carry its people into exile. And during that season, there were prophets who arose who wanted to bring peace and wanted to bring comfort. They wanted to bring words of hope. And so if you know Jeremiah um, 28, there's a, a prophet who arises and um, I'll paraphrase. He says, guys, guys, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. God is going to come to our rescue and it's going to happen soon. 
two years max. And, and then when he comes, he's going to allow us to go back to normal, back to the way things always were. And so that's a message of hope that was intended to bring encouragement to help our, the people of Israel sustain the suffering in exile. It's the same season where we end up getting our um, favorite Jeremiah 29, 11 verse. In fact, I, I should probably just read it here because it's, it's so good. These words of hope are what people cling to during seasons of suffering. Well, let me, um, Jeremiah 29, let's start in 10. Beginning of verse 10 says, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I don't know if you've read Jeremiah 29, 10 before, um, but it's important to see that Jeremiah's words are still words of hope, but they sound different than the kind of hope that this other prophet was preaching to his people in exile. There is a kind of hope that, if believed, would actually destroy us. And so when Jeremiah provides his encouragement, his words of hope, there might have been people who would say, you know, I like the other guy's news better. I like that hope better. That sounds more hopeful. Like, we'll, we'll get through this soon, two years. Jeremiah, we don't like your words because it's 70 years. And there are a lot of us who would end up putting our trust in might, what might sound good or might what we want to see happen, but... We don't have any guarantee that it will. What makes Jeremiah's news good news of hope is that even if it doesn't sound great, we know it's secure. Jeremiah's hope in verses uh, 10 and 11 are the words of hope that would have sustained the nation of Israel through the, the season because they were confident in God's word to sustain God's people. And so if you've experienced the pain of misplaced hope, maybe you can see why it might not be always good to just sugarcoat the situation, but to bear the brutal facts of reality. There is hope, but there's also the reality that suffering is real and there's no guarantee that we might have the health or the wealth or the success that we think we do which is why we need to be careful where we place our trust and so let's complete our time together by looking um, where does the author end up placing his trust in Lamentations 3 but this I call to mind I want to know what is this there are three things that we'll hit but this I call to mind the steadfast Love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The first thing that he calls to mind. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He's calling to mind. He's remembering a certain truth about the nature of God that will give him hope. And the first thing that he comes to is that the love of of the Lord never ceases. For a lot of us, that might be a truth that's hard to believe because it can feel like the love of the Lord does cease. There are times that we can look at the pain and suffering of life and, and think, why would a Heavenly Father allow this kind of thing to happen? I don't know if you know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, um, but in 1967, 53 years ago. Uh, she was 17 years old and um, right after her senior year of high school went to uh, the Chesapeake Bay with some friends and while she was there she misjudged the depth of the water and dove in and ended up um, breaking her neck and she found herself paralyzed in a hospital from the shoulders down. 
and she recounts in her story about the kind of anger that she felt towards God. Read her statement. She said, great God, way to go. I'm a brand new Christian. This is the way you treat your new Christians. I'm young in the faith. I prayed for a closer walk with you. If this is your idea of an answer to prayer, I'm never going to trust you with another prayer again. There's a battle to believe what the scriptures have to say. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And for Johnny, there was still a glimmer of hope for her in the darkness and despair that she felt that allowed her to pray out to God, God, if I can't die, show me how to live. And many of you who know the story of Johnny know that the story has a, a happy ending. But her story does not end with her being able to walk. 53 years later, she's still paralyzed. She's still in a wheelchair. The Christian hope that we have is not a hope to be able to experience a pain-free life. John Piper has a poem that I love as he describes the kind of grace that we end up experiencing from God. Not grace to bar what is not bliss, nor flight from all distress but this. The grace that orders our troubles and pain and there in the darkness is there to sustain. Our Christian hope doesn't rid us of suffering. Our Christian hope transforms suffering. And so, as we consider the, the truth of the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, it might be good for us to be reminded of where else do, have we seen the love of God displayed in suffering. The second piece of hope that he provides, his mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. This particular line has a great spot in my heart. Um, as a man in his middle of his 30s who had experienced the dashed hope of way too many relationships falling apart and looking out on the horizon of friends and family who've gotten married and had kids. And the older I got, the less hopeful that I found myself believing that uh, God would supply a spouse for me. And every Christmas morning that I woke up to an empty house was a bitter reminder of what I, in some ways, expected the next 50 years to be like. And I had, and I have great family and friends, but what I saw is that they all ended up going back to their true loves. Roommates would get married and move out. Nephews uh, would grow up and end up loving mom and dad more than Uncle B. Uh, my friends would end up having kids and get busy. And the, the idea of being alone and being single for the next 50 years was a kind of weight and fear that felt too much to bear. And so it wasn't until I grasped the hope that his mercies are new every morning that I was able to look out into the horizon of the future with or without a spouse and have peace because God was not asking me to bear the weight of loneliness and singleness for 50 years. He was asking me to bear the weight of loneliness and singleness just for a day. And his mercies were going to be new for that day. And he was going to supply me with everything that I needed to find joy in the midst of whatever circumstance I found myself in. And then my hope became not a wife or not kids. My hope became the goodness of the Lord and the mercies that would come every morning. The third and final 
piece of hope that the author provides. Great is your faithfulness. And here the author is so overwhelmed by the hope and truth of this idea that he shifts from speaking about God to speaking to God. He says, great is your faithfulness. Turns into a, a moment of worship. For him, he would have been able to look back over God's faithfulness to the people of Israel for hundreds of years, and he would have seen God's faithful hand in the Exodus story or in the acquisition of uh, the promised land. We're able to look back on God's faithfulness to include the return from exile and the promise of a suffering servant. We can look back at moments of God's kindness and faithfulness to be able to say something about his future faith, faithfulness. Great is the Lord's faithfulness. He is not going to disappoint. And so when we look for reasons to put our hope in God, we can look to his faithful promises fulfilled, which is why the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is so important to us. God said he would send a Savior, and he sent a Savior, and that Savior made good on his promises to live the life we couldn't live, to die in our place for our sin, and to rise in victory over Satan's sin and death, and is now currently risen and ruling in heaven. We, we believe those are true to give us reason to put our hope in the faithfulness of God. Now, as we move into uh, the concluding time, my title, Yes But Hope, is a bit of a pattern for us to endure suffering. And so, yes. Yes means Yes, lament. Yes, acknowledge the pain that you're in. The Bible does not tell you that you need to deny or dismiss the challenges that you're facing. One-third of the Psalms are laments. The entire book of Lamentations is laments, these passionate cries, passionate expressions of grief and sorrow. And so when you face the afflictions, the life altering loss, not just momentary pain, but a kind of pain that will last into years, not days. I want to say, yeah. Yeah, you can lament. Yes, mourn. As you see hopes dashed. Yes, grieve. Yes, but though. Grieve, but not as those who have no hope. And so, yes, Lament, but remember, but remember, but call certain things to mind. There, there are a treasure trove of good news verses in the Bible that can give us hope. And when faced with that, you have the battle to believe the hope that's in the future. My question for you is how deep is your well? And what I mean is, if your suffering is deep, how deep is the grace that you know that's available for you? How sharp is your sword to fight against the lies of Satan that would make you feel hopeless? This upcoming sermon series that Pastor Keith is going to do is, is in some ways, to help you deepen your well with truth that would be able to satisfy your soul no matter what suffering you end up experiencing. And so he'll talk about the reason for hope, whether it's for punishment or whether it's uh, for purification, that God has good reasons for us to endure. He's going to talk about the fact that this, this momentary pain that we're experiencing will not be worth comparing to the glory that's ahead of us that we might be able to look back at the restoration of all things in the future and say that this current suffering is light and momentary in comparison. He'll give us reason to bank in the good news of the resurrection of Jesus to give us hope for not just a consolation prize, but a restoration prize. And so, yes, lament, but remember, fill your mind with the truth of Scripture that would give hope, and then hope Hope in all things, that no matter what you're experiencing, that there's a God in heaven whose steadfast love for you never ceases, whose mercies are new for you every morning, 
and that his faithfulness is secure. Yes, but hope. Would you pray with me? Father, whom have we in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that we desire more than you. Our heart and our flesh may fail, but Lord, you are the strength of our heart and our portion forever. Father, in a church of our size, you know that the afflictions are many, that they are diverse, and that they are painful. Some experiencing short bursts of pain, maybe a short season, and some wrestling with the kind of life altering loss that as they look into the future the magnitude of the challenge ahead of them seems too much to bear that they have lost hope they have lost happiness they've lost peace and God I pray that your spirit would in this time do what only it can do and revive the hopeless heart by helping us call to mind and opening the eyes of our heart to see the kind of hope that you have for us in our calling. And I pray, Lord, that this kind of hope would sustain us as a people, not just to endure it, but to find joy in it. Lord, lead us over the next five weeks to supply us with the kind of truth that would enable us to transform our experience of the sufferings that we face. Lord, our hope is in you, and so it's to you to whom we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, there are a handful of ways that you can continue to interact with uh, us during this time. Uh, one, there is a live prayer button at the bottom of the screen if you're streaming the service where we would love to be able to intercede to God on your behalf to pray about anything. If you click that button, uh, we'll send a message and interact with you via that chat feature. Uh, if you are looking for uh, additional help, we'd encourage you to go to keystonechurch.org compassion. And there, there's a form for you to fill out to let us know how we as a church can be um, a, a good body and take care of all of our members. And so if you have needs, let us know. We want to know. And likewise, we want to know if there are specific ways that you would love to be able to help. And so you can go to that same link, keystonechurch.org compassion and, and click, at, click the form that says, I want to help. Uh, thirdly, um, for those of you who have been uh, generous in supporting Keystone, I want to say thank you, and you can continue to do so at keystonechurch.org give or through the uh, Church Center app. Uh, for those of you who want to give, you can set up a one-time gift uh, or a reoccurring gift. The last way that you can continue to engage with us is that there are going to be a handful of uh, follow-up questions for you to discuss as a family. Uh, these questions are designed for you to continue to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and in your mind as you discuss and digest uh, the Word of God, believing that He's going to be at work in your life to be able to transform, in this case, how you might see and experience suffering. And so we thank you uh, and are looking forward to being able to do this again with you next time.